one of the things that I have enjoyed doing this summer is a, a new series with you, and uh, it's called If I Should Die Before I Wake, and we're in part three today. And as I have said each week, the series is not about death. You think, well, that's kind of a strange title, If I Should Die Before I Wake. Well, it's not about death, it's about life. It's about living the way God meant for us to live, about living our lives on purpose, living our, our lives in such a way that we fulfill God's dream for us. And today, we're going to zoom in on one particular part of this, and we're going to zoom in on why and how living for others is so important. Why and how living for others is so important if, and I hope this is a, an if that applies to you, if you want your life to, to, to count, if you want to live in such a way that your life really does make a difference. To set the tone for where I want to go today, I want to do something a little different. I, I rarely do this, but I want to read a story to you, a short story by one of my favorite authors, a guy named Max Licato. Now, he's written a truckload of books, and one of the books that I started reading this week is called Outlive Your Life. Very good. And it's been around for a little while, I think. But he opens his book with this fable. It's called The Fable of Father Benjamin. And I just want to read it to you. Listen carefully as I walk through this, and uh, I'll, I'll, it'll all connect the dots for you in just a moment. Unfavorable winds blow the ship off course. And when they do, the sailors spot uncharted islands. They see half a dozen mounds rising out of the blue South Sea's waters. The captain orders the men to drop anchor and goes ashore. He is a robust man with a barrel chest, full beard, and a curious soul. On the first island, he sees nothing but sadness. Underfed children, tribes in conflict, no food development, no treatment for the sick, and no schools. Just simple, poor, and needy people. The second and following islands reveal more of the same. The captain sighs at what he sees. This is no life for these people, but what can he do? Then he steps into the last and largest island. The people are healthy and well-fed. Irrigation systems nourish their fields and roads connect their villages. The children have bright eyes and strong bodies. The captain asks the chief for an explanation. How has this island moved so far ahead of all the others? The chief, who is, a smaller, than, is smaller than the captain, but every bit is equal in confidence, gives a quick response. Father Benjamin... Father Benjamin educated us in everything from agriculture to health. He built schools and clinics and dug wells. The captain asks, can you take me to see him? The chief nods and signals for two tribesmen to join him. They guide the captain over a jungle ridge to a simple, expansive medical clinic. It is equipped with clean beds and staffed with trained caretakers. They show the captain the shelves of medicine and introduce him to the staff. The captain, though impressed, sees nothing of Father Benjamin. He repeats his request. I would like to see Father Benjamin, please. Can you take me to where he lives? The three natives look puzzled. They confer among themselves, and after several minutes, the chief invites, follow us to the other side of the island. They walk along the shoreline until they reach a series of fish ponds. Canals connect the ponds to the ocean. And as the tide rises, fish pass from the ocean into the ponds. And the islanders then lower the canal gates and trap fish for harvest. Again, the captain is amazed. He meets fishermen and workers, gatekeepers and netcasters, but he sees nothing of Father Benjamin, and he wonders if he's making himself clear. I don't see Father Benjamin. Please take me to where he lives. The trio talks alone again. After some discussion, the chief offers, let's go up the mountain. They lead the captain up a steep, narrow path, and after many twists and turns, the path deposits them in front of a grass-roofed chapel. The voice of the chief is soft and earnest. He has taught us about God. He escorts the captain inside and shows him the altar, a large wooden cross, several rows of benches, and a Bible. 
is this where Captain, excuse me, if this where Father Benjamin lives? And the captain asks, and the men nod and smile, yes, yes. May I please talk to him? Their faces grow suddenly serious. Oh, that would be impossible. Why? Because he died many years ago. The bewildered captain stares at the men. I asked to see him, and you showed me a clinic, some fish farms, and this chapel. You said nothing about his death. You didn't ask about his death, the chief explains. You asked to see where he lives, and we showed you. I love this story because it illustrates that you and I can leave a living legacy behind us. We can leave a living legacy in our wake behind us, even after we take our last breath. Father Benjamin made an incredible impact on these islanders and on the island. And in their mind, in their opinion, in their thoughts, he still lived. He still lived on. The moral of this fable is very simple. If you want your life to count, if you truly want to make a difference in this world, then invest in others and leave a living legacy from the good deeds that you do for others. So what do we need to remember for this to happen? I think most of us say, okay, that's great, that's cool, I like the story, thanks, move on. What, what needs to happen? What do we need to remember? What do we need to know for us to get there? Well, let me point out a few things, three essential things to remember. Here's the first one. Just like Jesus, we were called to serve, not to be served. If you've been around here any length of time of all, you've heard me talk about this before. Serving others, again, is one of the four words on the wall over here. It's one of our highest values. But it's important for me and it's important for us from time to time to be reminded of this very powerful and yet very simple truth. Just like Jesus, we are called to serve, not to be served. Jesus, in his very first message, you can find it in Luke chapter 4, declared that he came for this purpose. He came with passion for the poor and the broken, for the oppressed and for the wounded. And then everything that he did, read the Gospels, everything that Jesus did, he did for others, and he demonstrated time and time again, whether it was making wine at a wedding, or whether it was healing a blind guy, whether it was feeding thousands, everything that he did, he did not to, to be waited on as some royalty. He didn't come to be waited on hand and foot. He did it to, for others. He came to sacrifice and serve and to give his life away for the benefit of others. And he did so, let me make this clear. Let me connect the dots for us. He did so as a model for us. We think, well, that's cool, that's Jesus. You know, he's God, sure, he's supposed to be good and care for people, that's what he does. But he did it as a model for you and for me. If you are a Christ follower, or if you're investigating Christianity, let me be clear. He wants to call us, he calls us to the very same life that he lived, to give our lives away for others. Math, uh, excuse me, Mark chapter 10, verse 43 to 45, here's what Jesus said. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. Now, the context for this, and I'll pick up verse 45 here in a second, but the context for this is simple. Jesus is dealing with his guys, the bonehead disciples who are arguing again about who's going to be the greatest, who's going to be the right hand and the left hand, who's going to be most important in the kingdom of God. And Jesus just shakes his head. I imagine he's just he's frustrated a bit, disappointed again. He says, guys, have you not got it yet? Let me make this clear. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And if you really want to be first, then become a slave. And in that day and age, there were slaves everywhere. Please understand that they got the word picture very clearly. They understood what that meant. He said, for even the Son of Man, even I, did not come to be served but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. He said, here's my example. I am the Son of Man. I am the Son of God. I came, but I didn't come to serve but to give my life away to serve others. To pa the path to greatness 
The path to greatness is humble and selfless service to others. Fame and, and the kingdom of God is not found in fortune. It's found in selfless sacrifice for others. And as we follow the example of Jesus, who in John 8, he said he was the light of the world, we get to become little lights, smaller, lesser lights than him, certainly, but we get to become lights as well. Here's what Jesus said on Matthew 5, 14 and 16. You are the light of the world. Now, I don't know what the disciples thought when they heard that, what, what, what went through their minds, but they got that Jesus was the light. He came into the world as the light of, from God. He came to, as light in the darkness. But I love that fact that Jesus did this all the time. He turned the tables on them. He said, you know who I am. Now let me make sure you know who you are. You are the light of, of the world. Like a city on a hilltop, it cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house in the same way. And here he is. I'm about to make it very clear. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Light directly connected to good deeds, to our acts of selfless service for others. I don't know what you look at when you look in the mirror in the morning. Sometimes what I look at scares me. It really does. I, 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 uh, it's weird to be getting older, and I, and I look in the mirror sometimes, and I go, who is that old guy? Because, and you, you, some of the older guys are not yet, because in your head, in your mind, you still think you're 20-something. I still think of myself as this fit and full-headed, brown-haired guy. I'm not so fit. I do not have a full head of hair, and it's not close to being brown anymore. And so when I look in the mirror, sometimes it's like, who is that guy? I was looking on Facebook at a picture of one of my friends from high school. And I said to Lord, I said, do I look that old? She was kind. <laughs> the truth is, I probably do. I don't know what you look at when you look in the mirror in the mornings, but I want to tell you this. God wants you to see a light. When you look, he wants you to see someone who is a light in the midst of a dark world. And the way that light shines best is through our good deeds. I love worshiping with you. I love gathering here on Sunday mornings. This is our pep rally, our encouragement, our in, in, hopefully some inspiration, and, and we rub shoulders with others who love God, and we leave here encouraged, inspired to do more. But you know what? This, this is, if this was all there is to church, then God help us. If this is it, then, man, I'm, I didn't sign up for that. It's not just here. But it's there. It's outside of the four walls. Or maybe it's during the service and it's back in Adventureland helping with kids. Or maybe it's in the lobby helping make coffee. There are so many ways for us to serve. But we shine best as we do good work, selfless deeds of sacrifice, sacrificial care for others. As we sacrifice a Saturday morning, as we did a, some time ago on our SOS for our schools, we're shining as lights in the midst of a dark world. As we become foster parents or adoptive parents, and, and, and a lot of you are adopting or have adopted kids. Three of our staff pastors have adopted kids, and I'm so proud of you guys. As we do that, we shine as a light in the midst of darkness. As we bring some diapers or some school supplies, which I bring up all the time, please bring just one thing every week. And I know sometimes you forget or you don't think about it. When you go shopping, put on your list, SP, single parent pantry, SPP, and one, just get something, one extra thing. And as you do that, and we put that in the basket, and I was here on Thursday, and a truckload of single moms came through, a truckload of them. As we do that, we shine as lights in the midst of darkness. 
as we help at a, senior, a disabled senior move, as, as Brad and some people did a few Saturdays ago, we shine as lights in the midst of darkness. As we reach across racial and economic barriers, we shine. As we help the poor and we love the broken, we shine. We shine as lights in the midst of darkness. I'm going to show you some pictures right now that I don't think I've shown you guys before. I, I stored them away someplace and forgot about them. This first picture is of a well being dug. Uh, not this last Christmas, but the Christmas before last, we took up an offering, uh, raised uh, uh, about $12,000 to give to Living Water International. And we asked them to uh, use the money to build wells in Guatemala because we've got a connection with Guatemala and have sent teams down there for years. Well, this is the well being dug with some of the money you sent. The next picture is uh, they found it. There it is. Next one, honey. Go ahead, Jess. Thanks. And that's the pump there. And right below that, the last picture I want to show you guys is what it says. This is a cup of water in Jesus' name, Water for Life, sponsored by Living Water International and East Point Church. Yeah. You guys did that. We raised $11,000, $12,000, and we sent it to a great organization, Living Water International, to help dig wells in, in a couple of villages in Guatemala. Do you know that, that over 1 billion, that's with a B, over 1 billion people on this planet do not have fresh, clean water, access to fresh, clean water. And many of them are sick and dying because of it. And you guys did this. And when we did this, you shined as lights in the midst of darkness. Now you think, well, that's great, and I like to do that once in a while, and that's cool, but, but you know what? There's so much more. There are countless opportunities, things that you can do every day. Not long ago, I walked out of a fast food restaurant, and I just had a healthy meal, not so much. And, and I was satisfied and full and, and enjoying, you know, the, it was McDonald's. Don't they have the greatest fries in the world? I love their fries. I, if I could take, anyhow. But, but I walked out of this place, and I'm approached by a homeless guy and a woman. I don't know if he's his wife, his girlfriend, just a friend, but it's a, a couple homeless people. They've got their backpacks, and they're obviously homeless. And they asked me the, the famous question, do you have any spare change? Now, honestly, I did not have any spare change, and... The other thing I want to be honest about is, as a general rule, in fact, I can't think of one time in the last 10 years where I've given money to a homeless person or to a panhandler. I just, I am concerned about what they're going to do with that, and so I generally don't give money. But I've given out an awful lot of things, to, and I've given out a lot, of, a lot of food. And these two people, I just walked out of Bur uh, 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 McDonald's, belly full, and I said, you know what, guys, I'm not going to give you money. You can see the disappointment on their face. I said, but here's what I will do. Can I buy you some food? Can I buy you dinner? Well, yeah. So I took them in. Now, you can imagine how McDonald's staff felt at that moment. Because I'm sure they've run these people off probably before. They've seen them out there and not too happy about them panhandling with their customers. But I said, guys, order anything you want. It's on me. And they ordered, and they ordered big. And that was fine by me. And I paid the bill. And as I did, I, just, I, I turned to walk away. And they said, well, thanks a lot, man. And I said, you know what, guys? Here's what I want you to know. I want you to know that I bought you this, this simple meal today. Because Jesus loves you. Would you just, would you know that? Just know this, that God loves you. He loves you, and that's why I did this for you. They smiled and nodded their head, and I walked out, and I have never seen them again. But you think, you know, I don't, well, I, I don't know if I can get money. I don't know about Guatemala. I don't all those things. It seems so big, and there's so many needs. What can you do in your world today? What small little thing that may not be so small in the life of someone else can you do for others? Because the day I did that for that couple, Jesus' light shined through me. Just a little bit bright, it shined through me. And just like Jesus, that's what he wants you to do, to shine as lights in the midst of a dark world and to serve others.
Here's the second thing, number two. The second thing we need to remember, the blessed are to be a blessing to the poor. The blessed are to be a blessing to the poor. Now, I know that uh, a lot of you, many of you are struggling financially. I know that there are many of you, I get the prayer requests and see the emails that you've lost jobs or you're scrambling to make ends meet. And some of you have taken some pretty serious hits recently. I get that. I understand that. And I want you to please listen carefully to my heart right now. Please listen to my heart. Because I'm going to make a statement that's going to rock some of your worlds and may upset you. And that's not my intent, but I, I want you to hear this. Do you know that compared to many in our world, even the poorest among us is wealthy? Let me say it again. Even the poorest among, me, among us, compared to many billions in our world, we are wealthy. And I don't say that to make you feel guilty or in some way to shame or guilt you into some action to manipulation. But the simple fact is, the simple fact is that nearly 2 billion people live on planet Earth and they're desperately poor. And, and they don't have half, they don't have near what you and I have. Things we take for granted. Running fresh water, we turn on and, and it's there. One billion people don't have that. A roof over their heads. More than one meal a day. Hundreds of millions of people eat one meal a day and it's probably rice and beans. They don't have access to the best medical care in the world like we do. Aside from all the political stuff that's going on with health care and Obamacare, whatever you want to call it, aside from all of that, we live in a country with some of the best medical care in the world, and we take it for granted. You get in trouble today, you're going to show up at an emergency. You're going to go someplace to get great care. My brother mentioned a few weeks ago on Facebook, was dealing with something they weren't sure was Ebola. They'd been exposed to it in Africa. He's a missionary there, and, and they weren't sure. It turned out to be malaria, and, but they, going to the hospital there is not an option in Mozambique. People go to the hospital to die, and it's not, it's not a good, healthy place to go at all. So many live with so little. And the simple fact is, again, that so many have so little, and we, even the poorest of us, compared to them, are wealthy. The truth is, I'm a blessed man, and we are blessed people. And the question is, what would God have us do with that blessing? What would he have us do? And I'm watching the stock market this last week, wackiest week ever. And uh, I've got a 401k that's in mutual funds in stocks. And I tell you, at one point I'm thinking, I'm going to be working. I hope you like me because I'm going to be working until I'm 90. <laughs> yeah, I'm, 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 I'm never going to be able to retire. And, but you know what hit me? Because then I'm in the midst of preparing this message on Wednesday. I thought, Man, just the fact that I have a retirement account puts me way, 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 way above so many others. So what would God have us do with what we have? Well, here's what Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6. He said, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Oh, boy, it's so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need, not all we want, but all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be, here it is, be rich in good works and generous to those in need. Always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they'll be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. I could spend a lot of time on this. I won't, I promise. But here's four things that Paul says. First, teach those who are rich. Meaning, it just doesn't come naturally. He says, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud. It doesn't come naturally. Second thing is don't trust in money, which is so unreliable. Trust in God, 
Man, if you've got, you know, a lot, you may not have a lot tomorrow. And so the Bible says, don't trust in that. Trust in God. Third lesson here is that as long as you've got it, don't hoard it, share it. As long as you do have it, don't hoard it, share it. And the last lesson, verse 19, is that God records and God rewards. If you're taking notes, jot that little phrase down at it because I want it to inspire and motivate you. God records and God rewards. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said, don't store up treasures here on earth but in heaven. It said, send your treasures ahead of you. That's what Jesus taught. And when he says here in verse 19, Paul says, by doing this, you'll be storing up their treasure. By doing what? What's the this there? The this there. What's he talking about? He said, by being rich in good works and generous with those in need, you're storing up treasure. You're sending it ahead of you. Point being here is that works done in Jesus' name can outlive our earthly lives. In the context of sacrifice, which Jesus called his disciples to on a regular basis, and telling them to live a life of service and, and sacrifice and deny themselves, a lot of fun things that we really love to hear. Jesus, in the context of that, made this promise in Matthew 16, 27. He said, the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory. His angels will come with him. He says, there's a day coming when I'm coming back. Count on it. Bank on it. And when he comes, when I come, he will reward everyone in keeping with what they've done. Jesus said, there's a day coming when I'm going to return. And when I do... I promise you this. Here's my promise. I'm going to reward everyone according to what they've done. There'll be judgment, the Bible teaches, for those unbelievers, for those who do not believe and follow him, and reward for those of us who do. We don't have to fear judgment if we belong to Jesus. That's the great news. And what we also have as great news is that we have the promise of a reward. 1 Corinthians, I think, chapter 3, Paul says, now the, the, the test will be, the judgment there will be, is it wood, hair, you know, gold, precious? Is it, is it good? Were there good works? Were they really done selflessly for others or not? But the point here is that God records and God rewards. And Jesus used this, and Paul uses this to motivate us, to remind us that works done in his name will outlive us, and we can send our treasure ahead of us. And so we're to be a blessing to others, to bless them, those who are poor. Well, how can we become people who are willing to be a blessing? I, I have to finish with this, and it's the last point, number three. How do we become that person? Well, change begins when we have eyes to see on the heart of God. Change begins. It's a process. I, you may have an overnight revelation. You may have something that dramatically changes in an instant. But generally, it begins as we have eyes to see on the heart of God. Here's something I know about human nature, something I know about you and me. Until our eyes are open and our hearts are broken, nothing will really change in the way we view the poor and the way we care for those who are in need. Until our eyes are open and our hearts are broken, Nothing of significance. We might throw in a few bucks here and there to help somebody or do something, but there won't be a radical heart change until we have the eyes of Jesus, until we have his heart. One of my most frequent prayers, I was down here yesterday afternoon praying, walking through every row. Every one of these chairs had my hand on it yesterday as I prayed. And one of my most frequent prayers for you is my most frequent prayer for me. God, give me your heart. Give me your heart. Because see, when we have the heart of God, it changes us. It changes us. And honestly, probably the first half of my life, I, I'm, I, I'm embarrassed to tell you, I don't think I really had the, the eyes of Jesus or the heart of God. I was working in the banking industry in most of my 20s, and I uh, was working downtown L.A. And my drive uh, to L.A. was uh, miserable. You can imagine. Imagine I-90, multiply it by 100 and you got, you know, downtown traffic going into L.A. every day. It really was miserable. But I had a good job. And for my age, uh, I was fairly affluent. 
I had a great job. I was on a fast track to success. And I don't say that to toot my own horn, just to give you the context that I was doing really well and, and, and the future was very bright. But every day I had to drive this stupid drive downtown L.A. And the last five minutes of my drive took me through L.A. Skid Row. I don't know if you've ever been there, if you've ever seen it, if you ever get to L.A., it's worth the drive just to, to, to rock your world and to, and to get a hold of you. But I'm, I'm embarrassed to tell you that I, I hated it. The last five minutes of my drive through Skid Row into the parking garage where I, where I had my office, where I worked, and the first five minutes as I left that building every day, I just absolutely hated. I was disgusted by the, the alcoholics and the addicts that were on those streets. Sometimes, honestly, I was a little, a little afraid of them. They'd walk up to the window of my car, and you could tell some were mentally ill or looked a little scary, and I would do everything I could to ignore them, keep my windows rolled up to just get through there as fast as I could until one day. <laughs> and I love the fact that God is so patient and merciful and kind with boneheads like me. And, and one day, I'm driving through there, and there was a song. Anybody remember a guy named Keith Green? Boy, I'm really going to date myself. But there was a song by a guy named Keith Green, and it's a song called Asleep in the Light. And it really is a song I'd heard many, many times before. But I'm listening to this song. I'm driving through this. I'm disgusted by all the people there. I'm pulling in the parking garage. I go to turn my car off, and I'm listening to it. It's a thing called a cassette. You know, you know, there was a, it, <laughs> listening to this cassette, the song Asleep in the Light, and all of a sudden, it's like, boom, this light went on. And I cannot begin to describe. I had an encounter with God that day in my car that rocked my world. And it was as if God was replaying the last five minutes of my drive, showing me how I didn't have his heart and how I was, in fact, asleep in the light and how I didn't have the eyes of Jesus and I didn't look at those people the way he did. And I sat there in that parking lot, in that parking garage, in my car, weeping, snot running down my face, shaking. You know, I got the shakes. You know what the shakes are, right? I am weeping. So brokenhearted now over that. And from that moment on, God began this work in my heart that that changed me that, that, and my drive from that point on. In fact, it wasn't too long after that I stopped taking the car, started taking the bus, and boy, that's a whole other experience. Where's your heart? Do you have his eyes? Do you have his heart? Matthew 9, 36, it says this of Jesus. When he saw the crowds... He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. When Jesus saw the crowds, two incredibly important words, he saw. And he didn't see with disgust or disdain. He didn't look at them, you know, like, why don't these people get a job? What's wrong with them? I don't understand why they, I hate the fact that they're on a welfare. He didn't go off on that at all. What he did was he said he had compassion on them. And that word compassion is this word in the Greek that means his bowels were just twisted and turned. It's a word that means at a gut level. He ached and ached for them. He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless. And the question I have for you is, when's the last time you felt that for the poor and the broken and the lost? There's an article in the paper, week ago Friday, spokesman review. Sell-off slams Dow. Big, bold letters across the top. It's the front-page article about how miserable things were. And at that point, it got worse and then better and worse and better and worse. 
But tiny little article in the bottom. It just struck me as I read this. Tiny little article in the bottom left-hand page. Starving Somalis swell refugee camp. And then you got to go all the way to the back page to get the rest of the article. Do you know that tens of thousands of Somalis have died in recent months? Tens of thousands. They're starving to death. And we are worried about our stinking, I almost swore, so sorry, our stinking stock market. We're so worried about things that in the, in the realm of eternity just don't matter to the kingdom, don't matter to God. Tens of thousands. And right now, I just looked it up this morning, over 10 million, 10 to 12 million, depending on which article you want to re- read, 10 to 12 million are at risk in the Horn of Africa. Starving, dying. You think, I hate it when pastors use those stories and next he's going to do is show me pictures of starving kids. I understand how we feel. I understand how, how it bothers us. And believe me, trust me, if you know my heart, you know I am not trying to manipulate you into anything. But I want to I provoke you. Do you have his, his eyes? Do you have his heart today? Change begins when we have his eyes to see in the heart of Jesus. Change begins. You think, well, I don't know what I can do. Do you know that if every person, about probably a thousand people or so will come through here today at East Point. If every person that came through East Point today went online to World Vision, just one organization, which is a Christian organization, I completely support them. And we all gave five bucks. That would be $5,000. And you can give specifically to help feed those in Somalia. Five bucks. For me, that's the cost of two or three cups of coffee. That's not even half the cost of the pizza I had the other day. Five bucks. And they go, well, that's, that's not that big a deal. What's the big? If we, it's, it's, it's all of us doing a little. If we all do a little, then a lot can be accomplished. Max Licato. I'm going to read this statement, and then I'm going to show you a video, and I'm done. In that book I mentioned, Outlive Your Life, he wrote this, and I, I highlighted it, and it, I wept as I read it. These are difficult days in our world's history. 1.75 billion. That's a whole lot of people. Are desperately poor. Natural disasters are gouging entire nations. And economic uncertainty still reigns across the globe. But, but you and I have been given an opportunity to make a big difference. What if we did? What if we rocked the world with hope, infiltrated all corners with God's love and life? We are created by a, God, by a great God to do great works. He invites us to outlive our lives, not just in heaven, but here on earth. Let's live our lives in such a way that the world will be glad that we did. Let's live our lives in such a way that the world will be glad that we did. What can you do? Well, I want to show you a video. I'll give you many examples of things you can do right now. Let's watch this.
right now? Countless opportunities. And if you feel challenged today, good, you've been listening. If you feel defensive in my heart for you, is God, please soften their hearts. I'm not trying to guilt you, shame you, but I want to challenge you to look for ways today in your neighborhood as you go to the store, as you go to the gas station, as you walk down the street. What are things that you can do right now, today, to make a difference? You think, well, that's not that big a deal. It will be for that person, for that one. It will make perhaps a world of difference for them. Let's stand together. Ushers are going to come. We're going to give our offering today. My, uh, <laughs> this morning as I was praying about the service, I thought, Lord, I land on this too hard. They're going to give all their money to Somalia. And I said, yeah, I'm just going to be honest with you. I, we take offerings here to support the ministry here so that we can do what we do here so that you can be encouraged and cared for and challenged and grown and discipled so that in force we can do this better. We build a solid foundation here. That's why we give. That's why we support the ministry of this church. And the biblical pattern is we give our tithes and our offerings. Above and beyond that, we give to those ministries that are in need to those around us. So you do what you feel God wants you to do, but I encourage you to do it in love today. And we're going to give as we worship, and I'll come back and wrap it up. I love you guys, and I know we can do more, and I know you can do more, and that's my prayer. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your heart that uh, sometimes sneaks into ours, and I pray, God, that you would break into our lives, that you give us eyes to see, and that we would uh, leave this place today, Lord, ready and willing. I know we're able, Lord, because you've given us everything we need to do what you've called us to do, but make us ready and willing to follow you to live lives that count, Lord. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need a prayer today, pray to me be down front. If you want to become a Christ follower, you investigating Christianity, I'd love to pray with you. Come see me. Convenient to be on both sides of the room. Go walk with Jesus this week. It'll make a difference in your lives, guys. God bless you. Thanks for coming.